Good morning to you and welcome to this, a new series podcast, which will be broadcast every Friday, will be uploading to your favourite podcast provider. My name is Ken Hume and I've been buying and selling property and involved in real estate for the last 30 years, uh, during which time I have bought, sold land, property, blocks of flats, estates, done estate management, auctions, and gone through pretty much most things that you might have questions on. And so I've decided to do a podcast every Friday. We do broadcast daily, um, and this is one that we wanted to do in a long form so that those of you who enjoyed podcasts like myself could get a handle on what's going on in the market, what tools, tips, and tricks of the professionals are there out there, and how you might use them to help you with your property sale. And over time, we will be answering your questions as well. We do have a question this week, which came from our YouTube show, and I'll certainly be going through that with you as well. So welcome. Thanks for joining us. And please do subscribe. We'll be here weekly and hopefully keeping you interested with various things that are going on. We're estate agents based in southwest London, Norbury, London SW16. We manage, let and sell properties. So involved in all aspects of the markets, as well as auctions and estate management. So if you have any questions on anything that's going on with you right now, we'd always love to hear them. I'm going to start by going through the day's headlines and starting with the Daily Express. A third of sales collapse in January is the headline on the Express. Rightmove data has revealed that 29% of house sales fell through in January. 29%, that's huge. As the stamp duty holiday window approaches its closure on March the 31st, the percentage has edged up from 28% in December and 27% in November. Supply is also falling, with new properties for sale down 21% year on year. That's quite a surprise, actually, that number. And certainly we can echo that, that we've seen a drop off in supply, certainly. Rightmove said homeschooling may be delaying some people preparing their home to sell. However, it said 2021 was still the busiest January on record, with sales up 5% year on year. Demand being strong in the rental sector, with 14% more people looking for properties. That's also true, but our experience on the rental market is a little bit more mixed than that. What we're finding is that there are tenants out there, um, but the supply of property is getting higher in our area, particularly as some of our population is an immigrant population. And many of those sadly are going back home and they are uh, the bread and butter of many of our landlords and have been great tenants of ours for many years. And that's uh, a Brexit related thing. But there we are. Um, as far as the market's concerned, it's holding up fairly resiliently all around, I must say. Uh, one of the things that's really surprised me is a statistic on tenants and how they've reacted initially when we first had lockdown and there was lots of news about how the government would give mortgage holidays to landlords we had a lot of tenants calling up and saying we want a rent holiday because our landlord's got a mortgage holiday and with that one of the conversations that we were having was well actually the mortgage holiday is not a holiday in the sense that we know it unless you go on holiday and then have to pay everything back afterwards. Um, and what I mean by that is, of course, mortgage holidays by lenders just mean that they're deferring the interest payments that you're paying. So they'll let you off paying for a while because of the pandemic, but then they'll just roll up those charges and add them to your loan. So in fact, you end up paying more in the long term. 
And when we relayed that to our tenants and then went on to say, well, look, if you are furloughed, as many of our tenants were, then you're getting 80 percent of your salary. Then landlords would expect you to prioritize rent and we would expect you to prioritize rent as one of the things that you would want to preserve the most, given it's a roof over your head. And actually, for most tenants, what we found is that 80 percent salary that they were getting is equivalent to 100 percent when you take into account commuting and lunches and the like. And other thing is you can't spend money like you used to, can you? There's nowhere to spend it, you know, apart from the obvious takeaways and maybe a few food luxuries uh, while we're in lockdown, that is. And it is now early February, so the weather will start to break soon. We've got a few tough days ahead, we understand. But I do think that in the next few weeks, we'll start to see the more traditional market open up, hopefully. Obviously, one of the problems right now is the stamp duty holiday. Will they extend it? This is a big question for every home buyer and seller right now. Um, And the truth is, at this stage, we don't know. I suspect they may, um, but I'm not sure it will be a long-term thing. The thing about stamp duty is, As much as you could say it's an unreasonable, unfair tax and it restricts mobility, and I would agree with all of those things, it's also one of the simplest taxes for the government to collect. They don't do anything. The solicitors and conveyances on completion send the money directly to the government. They just bank it. They don't even bank it, actually. It's banked for them. All they need to do is account for it. So from that point of view, I don't see it disappearing anytime soon because it's a major source of revenue for the government. And goodness knows with the pandemic, they need the money. So I'd be delighted if they did revise it. I'm a particular fan of the idea of incentivizing first-time buyers, helping and supporting first-time buyers with 95% mortgages. One of the big problems at the moment is that with the pandemic especially, lots of lenders have increased their criterion um, and made it so that buyers need much higher deposits in the order of 20% as a first-time buyer. I mean, even going back 20 years when we were first-time buyers, if the deposit requirement was 20%, I'm not sure we could have afforded to get into the market. So this is a problem for many young people. The government has recognised this in a couple of statements over the last few months. And we have heard Boris talk about the support through a 95% mortgage scheme. My own view is that that scheme is likely to fall in line with some sort of help to buy incentive, which means that it will go to new build homes only. And then what will happen is you'll see a massive increase in the price of first time buyer homes via the big builders. And in my view, this is protectionism. It's the government looking after their buddies in the big PLC firms and doesn't impact on the wider housing markets at all, only on the coffers of those big builders. So my gut feeling is that that's what's going to happen. What I would love to see happen and what I think really needs to happen and the government needs to understand is that the housing market starts from the ground up. And what I mean by that is, yes, there are those that can buy without selling. But in general, the first time buyer is the key to unlocking the whole market, because if the first time buyer doesn't buy the flat, then the flat seller can't move on to the house. And then the house mover can't move to their bungalow or their luxury pad, whatever it is, has a knock on effect throughout the whole country and throughout the whole system. So the key to unlocking the market is not just incentivizing. And yes, the incentive has worked. Let's be fair. You know, lots of people have brought forward their moves and a potential saving a maximum of 15,000 if you're buying at 500,000 or more is a huge incentive to move. And many people have taken that on. But I do think the government needs to help the first time buyer. But back to the question, will the government extend the scheme for stamp duty? 
um, we think that they may extend it, but not for long term. It may we may see a tapering of it. That's my gut feeling is that what we might see is Rishi coming out with a scheme where he says, well, actually, if you're already under offer, we'll allow that sale to go through rather than see it collapse. Um, and that would be helpful, um, but it wouldn't help in the broader context. What I'd like to see is an extension of the stamp duty holiday for another year while we jump out of this pandemic, because I think next year will be a very, very different market, but time will tell. So we'll see what happens there. My expectation is that we'll hear from Rishi on the 3rd of March when he announces uh, the budget arrangements for the year. I think we'll then hear from him. Why wouldn't we hear earlier? Well, the whole idea of a time limited incentive like this is to make people jump on board and to incentivize people, you need to have a sense of urgency. And if he just says, oh, it's extended for another year, you lose that sense of urgency. That's why he may delay it. But that's what I'd love to see is two things from the government. One, help for first-time buyers to get 95% mortgages at reasonable interest rates. The problem is that the lenders are loading the rates. So first-time buyers are paying much more than second- and third-timers. And it's in all of our interest that they get a reasonable deal so that they can afford to move, so that we can afford to move and the whole market gets released and moving upwards. And we do have a crazy market for many, many reasons. Other headlines. There's one here from the Daily Express and City AM. London house prices drop near tube stations. Now, this is interesting because we're used to seeing house prices around tube stations go up. And what we're seeing is the London tube stations appeal has declined as buyers are less concerned about having a convenient commute due to the shift to home working. Research revealed that property price is close to a London underground stop average 642,000. I know for those of you not in London, it's crazy, isn't it? But that's actually a drop of 2% on the pre-COVID average of 655,000. Properties near the Waterloo and City line, which is still closed amid the coronavirus, suffered the largest drop. Well, that's not surprising as they're closed. With homes near Waterloo and Bank Station seeing an average decline of 11%. The average London house price around stations on the Circle line has fallen 7% since the start of the pandemic, while the Northern District and Hammersmith and City lines have recorded a 4% decline. The average house prices along Jubilee, Bakerloo and Piccadilly lines have slumped 2% and 1% respectively. And this dovetails with another headline from the Times and Bricks and Mortar, which is uh, Melissa York is looking at whether London's population could be set to fall for the first time since 1988 as people opt to relocate. We've certainly seen examples of this here in southwest London. PwC's latest economic outlook paper suggests 300,000 residents could move out of the city. An August survey by the London Assembly saw 4.5% of Londoners, or 416,000 people, so they intend to move out of the city within the next 12 months. Data from Hamptons International shows the number of homeowners buying outside of London hit a four-year high in December. And we're certainly finding an increase in demand from people leaving our area for holiday-type destinations, more rural destinations, and... Places like Seven Oaks are proving very popular and further out coastal resorts, uh, Brighton, Eastbourne, um, Devon and even places like Lake District seeing huge jumps in levels of interest as people, people's companies mainly realise that they can do the work outside of London and perhaps the London commute is unnecessary. That's been a real massive turnaround and I don't think that this is temporary. I think that what you're going to see is London will certainly come back to life. And we don't have enough homes anyway, so I don't think it will have as massive an impact as some are saying in terms of prices. But I do think that the idea of people Zoom commuting 
is new to many, many companies, and they've actually been surprised by the upturn in productivity because of it. So I don't think that when the pandemic ends, and it will end, we've got chinks of light at the end of the tunnel now with the vaccines coming on strong and the rollout of the vaccines being particularly good here in the UK. I do suspect that we'll come out slightly earlier than expected, and that will bring a wave of optimism, which will help the property market for sure. Um, But I think in the meantime, the flood of people leaving London will slow but there will still be people leaving London for these new holiday type destinations. Many agents that I speak to in more remote remote locations are saying that they found that the level of interest in their areas to be unprecedented. uh, And that's really interesting. Our market is steady. One of the great things being in a South London suburb that's commutable to London, but affordable is that you end up in a place where it's a needs must type area. Many, many people want that balance of, commuter distance with zone three to London, which is quite affordable, but also affordable housing in our area. The average three bedroom house is around half a million pounds as of February 2021, where we are now. Um, So if you look at that versus the other areas in London, we tread a nice balance between affordable, practical commuting distance to London and also a nice community. So, you know, I expect that because we're out of London, we'll be less affected by the um, changes in demographic, but it's really interesting to watch and we'll keep reporting on that for you. Um, Some firm news now from City AM, The Times, The Mail and The Express and The Sun are all reporting. Barrett Developments, the big builders, we were talking about these earlier, weren't we? Uh, They're to resume dividend payments after posting record completions, but warned it will take a 56 million hit on legacy properties, including issues related to cladding. Well, that's no surprise. Is it? Cladding has been a, a huge issue for many. And we'll talk about that in a moment. One particular lady was impacted very, very harshly. And um, we'll come on to an article about that. But the chief executive of Barrett Development said he would support a tax on developers to help cover the cost of the cladding scandal. And I think that's right. And this is something I've been saying for a long time is that there is a collective responsibility on the part of builders. You know, those of you that don't know, there's been a huge scandal since uh, Grenfell and the awful events that unfolded there. Many flat owners have found themselves in buildings which are considered unsafe due to cladding and fire safety issues as buildings have been inspected and a form called an EWS1 um, has been needed in order to sell many of these properties. That legislation is changing fast and things are unfurling. But in the meantime, many, many flat owners are either a trapped in flats they're already in or paying huge amounts to get fire safety works done and finding that their property can't be sold in the interim. In fact, in our area, we've experienced many such things and many of our people that intended to sell have ended up letting their properties on our advice as we know that they won't be able to get mortgages. And when you can't get a mortgage on the property, what happens is that the market audience goes down dramatically and therefore the price with it. So in many respects now, it's better to do a let to buy. And we'll come on to that separately in a little while because we have a question about that from a guy who's considering exactly that scenario. So a construction output declined in January. Um, that's from City AM. And that's a sharp drop from December and it's well below analyst forecasts. The thing about construction output declining is that what it actually leads to is an undersupply of property in the market. And where you have an undersupply, the pressure on prices goes up, of course, and that could be true for both sales and rentals. Um, on the prime rentals, London property fell quite substantially in the year to January by 13%. 
uh, and the number of properties available is up 66%. That's in the Times. There's no coincidence there that when you've got a fall in prices, you've got an available number of properties going up. You know, the old supply and demand is still the golden rule. If you've got more supply than you've got demand, then prices will be impacted. And certainly that's what they're finding in the prime areas. No doubt that will change as the pandemic unfolds and we'll keep you advised on that. Bank of England. This is an article from several different sources, including the Times, the Telegraph, the Independent, the Guardian. The Bank of England expects the UK's coronavirus vaccination programme to drive a rapid rebound of the economy later this year, with bank economists predicting a 4.2% dip in quarter one before an upturn in economic activity. But despite optimism, the recovery is on the horizon. The bank said it could introduce negative interest rates if the recovery falters. This is an interesting one, the theory of the thought of negative interest rates. The official interest rates now are 0.1%. Never thought I'd hear myself say that out loud. Um, but the interesting thing about that is that theoretically, mortgagees, i.e. your lender, would actually have to reduce the amount that you owed them um, or you'd have to pay less as the interest rates go negative. The reality is, of course, lenders don't do that. It's highly unlikely we'll ever see that. Um, we may see negative interest rates, but what we certainly won't see is lenders paying you back some of that money. I'm, I'm fairly sure of that, but time will tell. Um, remote working. This is a headline from City AM. Research commissioned by the Commercial Landlords Land Sec suggests remote working could cost the UK economy up to 95 billion a year. The report found that face to face working boosts productivity and innovation. Yeah, there's nothing like a face to face meeting in the end, is there? You know, there's, there's things about physically meeting that you cannot recreate on Zoom and the like. But it's an interesting point and one of the reasons why I see London bouncing back a little bit stronger than some may expect. Now, we had a question this week from Amir, and this really relates back to what I was saying earlier on. He was asking, he's struggling to sell his flat due to the new rules post-Grenfell and would like to know how let to buy would work and whether he would regret not selling. Well, Amir, this is not financial advice, of course. You know, take professional financial advice, but we need to go through a few things in order to understand what's going on here. First of all, let's talk about what is let to buy as opposed to buy to let. And that can be confusing for some, I know. Mortgage lenders and things like that. So basically what happens here is that if you're struggling to sell, as we found several uh, owners of small flats, particularly with cladding issues have, then you may want to rent out your own property in order to move on to your next one. How do you do that when you have a mortgage and the multiples of your salary are tied in with the existing mortgage? And the answer is you do a let to buy. That means we're letting our own property in order to buy the new one. And the way that works is you approach your existing lender. Typically, your existing lender will like to see a bit of a comfort zone, a buffer of a certain percentage, 75% or less is ideal mortgage, that is, i.e. if you've got 25% equity, it should be easy. Any less than that, you'll need to speak to your lender about your personal circumstances and hopefully get a sympathetic ear to that. Uh, I'd like to hear how that goes for many. But what we're finding is that lenders are a bit more flexible in general with this. And so the idea is that you let out your own property and then your lender effectively ignores that mortgage as it's covered by the rental and then uses your salary multiple for you to purchase another property um, and allows that to go ahead. So there are options out there, but you do need equity. Um, and then the question becomes, how does it all work? And there's lots of considerations uh, in buy to let. 
the first things are compliance. These days, there's a lot of compliance required for letting. You probably need permission from your freeholder, your building's insurance, the managing agent. And then there's the physical considerations of safety as well. You'll need an electrical installation condition report and a PAT test. Um, this is the first thing I always recommend because the electrical test particularly can mean quite a lot of upheaval. And if you're trying to rent your property and you've just decorated it, the last thing you're going to want to hear is the walls have to be channeled out for new wires to go in. So number one, get an electrical installation condition report. Your electrician will be able to advise you. Um, and then the second thing would be if you have gas, a landlord's gas safety certificate. This is an annual requirement. By the way, the electrical safety, that can be anything from two to 10 years, depending on whether the electrical company that you use, the electricians, actually sign you off as okay or completely rewire you. With a complete rewire, they may give you up to 10 years. Um, with less than that, they may give you two, three or five years of safety cover, by which time you'll need another inspection. Landlord's gas safety is very important. It makes sure that gases aren't escaping into the property and your tenants are safe and won't die from carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, this is an annual requirement and it's known as a landlord's gas safety certificate or CP12. Um, the important thing about this is to remember to do it because it's huge. You know, your responsibility is massive here as a landlord. Um, and the important thing is also that gas safety certificate is not the same as landlord's gas safety. So make sure you get one that says landlord's gas safety certificate. Of course, you'll also need an EPC or energy performance certificate, um, although you may already have one. And there's a register online. If you Google EPC register, you'll be able to see whether your property currently has a certificate that's in date. They last for 10 years and aren't vastly expensive. So that's something that you can get to later. Then there's furnishings, fire safety and presentation, things like Legionella's. Um, Legionella's disease landlords have a duty to make sure that it's safe uh, and you control Legionella bacteria. But health and safety law does not require landlords to produce or obtain, nor does it recognize a Legionnaire's testing certificate. So there's no requirement for a certificate. So don't be misled by some that will say there is. What you do need to make sure, um, what we always say is if the property has been vacant for a period of time, make sure you run the water down all of the wastes and bleach them out so that you've got um, any Legionella's there killed. And um, getting advice and quality advice from a qualified and fidelity bonding bonded letting agent is really important. And that will give you an idea of the local market for your property, what it might achieve. Um, and you always want to know what your target market is, because one of the questions you should be asking yourself is, who is my tenant when pre preparing your property to rent out? If you know and understand the kind of person they are, then, for instance, if you've got a two bedroom, but it's quite likely the second bedroom will be a study in your area, then you should configure it as such. And if it's an area where it's more likely to be a family with a small child, then you should configure it as such. So knowing your market is quite important there and getting local advice is key to that. Um, some of the nationals can't give you that specific and targeted advice. Um, fidelity bonding is important too. Agents should be financially protected from going bankrupt and fidelity bonding is an important part of that. Um, and also membering, being a member of a professional association, we're members of ARLA, the Association of Residential Letting Agents, and really important that your agent is a member of a similar such body. ARLA are the most regulated and have more teeth, I think, than any other professional body doing lettings um, and management 
enforcement. And for that reason, we would say look for an ARLA registered agent and you can find a register at ARLA.co.uk. That's ARLA.co.uk. Tenant selection, of course, is really important as well. I mean, don't forget that when you're looking for a tenant, the single most important issue is the quality of the tenant. So make sure you know who you're dealing with, why you're dealing with them, and that you're comfortable doing so. Um, the other thing is an article on a poor lady who got caught out by the whole Grenfell scandal. Hayley Tillotson, and this was an article from the Sunday Times, 28 years of age from Leeds, had to file for bankruptcy, the poor thing, because she lost her £102,000 flat because of the extra flat uh, costs she faced after learning her block of flats was clad with flammable material. She said, my dream flat has ruined my life. It makes all that time I spent saving my money in my early 20s seem totally pointless. The future looks bleak, she said. Isn't that awful? And this comes back to what we were saying earlier about making builders responsible for this. And that's it for the Property Buyers and Sellers podcast for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. Please do like, share and subscribe. And we'll be back same time next week. Take care of yourselves and your family.